Morning. Can you hear me? All right. Um, it's so good to be worshiping with you all this morning. Uh, I'm really grateful for this opportunity to preach God's Word. Um, actually, I'm just grateful to be preaching in English uh, for this brief period while we're back in the States. Um, actually, just a short story. I, uh, so I was recently serving as a ministry intern at a Japanese church, and um, so I was leading a Bible study through the book of Galatians on Friday afternoons with a group of eight to ten adults. And we were in Galatians chapter 2, and I was uh, talking about how the false teachers were plaguing the church. And so I, I spoke for about 15 minutes um, until an elder raised his hand and corrected me. Turns out the term I thought I'd been using for false teacher, I'd been saying false little girls <laughs> had been plaguing the church. Um, probably thought like, wow, this guy really is digging into the Greek. Um, no, it thoroughly explained the, the faces that I saw staring back at me. Um, all that to say I'm really grateful to be preaching in English. Um, so yeah, as Chad said, our, our family's been serving in Japan for about five years now in Tokyo, Japan. Um, if you've never been, Japan is a remarkable country. Uh, even in a city as big as, as Tokyo, it's incredibly clean. I don't, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the comedian Jim Gaffigan, uh, but he has this joke about, um, he says, you leave a Japanese public restroom cleaner than when you went in. And it's true, literally, you, you leave cleaner. Um, Japan is an incredibly safe country, so all kids from first grade and elementary they walk to school by themselves, including our third grader and our first grader. Um, the Japanese people are incredibly polite. They're very loyal. One of the hardest working, most diligent people I've ever uh, encountered. So here's a question. What then is the gospel to such a people in such a place? A place that's clean, orderly, to a people that are loyal and hardworking. I was recently asked um, by a, a friend, what's one of the greatest hurdles for the Japanese coming to faith, uh, coming to Jesus? And I'd say, like it is for many of us, it's seeing our need of him. So this morning, we're going to preach on the parable of the prodigal son in Luke 15. And the passage begins, verses 1 and 2, begins this way. Now all the tax collectors and sinners came near to Jesus to listen to him. Then the Pharisees and scribes complained, This man is receiving sinners and eating with them. So then Jesus proceeds to respond to the Pharisees with three parables. The first is the story of the lost sheep. The second is the story of the lost coin. And our passage this morning is the story of the lost sons. Uh, let's pray together real quick. Please pray with me. Uh, first in Japanese and then in English. You don't have to pray with me, though. Tenoto-sama, mina o sambishimasu. Otashi tachi, kochira ni atsumatte kudasatte. Arigatou gozaimashita. Otashi ga sekkyo sha desu ga. Otashi no tsumi o yurushite kudasai. 
御言葉の説教を祝福してください聞く耳や見る目を与えてください Father, we thank you for gathering us here we thank you for your word forgive the sins of the preacher for they are many bless this, the preaching of your word give us ears to hear and eyes to see in the name of Jesus we pray Amen So I want you to recall with me a time when you were ill-treated by someone or uh, maybe you just didn't get along with that per a person or maybe didn't agree with the way they were doing things. Uh, so for me, such an instance was I had just graduated college um, with a degree in engineering and I got hired in Lincoln uh, to work for an engineering consulting firm. Um, and. Uh, so I was re recently hired to the team, and I, the, technically there was this technician who worked under me, uh, and he gave me a hard time every day. He had an annoying personality, uh, he made fun of me at every turn, he'd come up to me uh, at my desk and like crouch over my shoulder and like point out things I was doing wrong. Uh, he was often late and lazy. Um, all that to say, him and I did not get along. Um, every time I heard a, of a small for misfortune that happened to him, uh, whether it was the boss yelling at him or uh, he got a parking ticket, I didn't, I didn't feel sorry for him. I kind of thought he had it coming. Uh, he got what he deserved. You reap what you sow, right? Um, actually, this is kind of a universal truth. Uh, every culture has a phrase like this. Japanese has a phrase, jigo uh, jitoku, right? Like, um, is anyone like this coming to mind for you? Maybe a, a neighbor or a coworker, a relative? That person in this parable is the younger brother. Um, we're not to like him. When misfortune happens to him, we cannot help but think maybe he deserved that misfortune, right? So uh, let's begin. We're going to read together. We're going to walk through the passage um, together. Uh, so verse 11. And Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. So um, traditionally, if a man had two sons, uh, his property, his two-thirds of the property would go to the first son, and one-third would go to the second son, uh, more or less. Verse 12. And the younger of them said to the father, Father, give me a share of the property that is coming to me. So he divided his property between them. So the second son here, probably a teenager, doesn't want to wait for his father to die, but he wants his share of the inheritance as soon as possible. And the father obliges the son's request. Verse 13. And not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. So the younger son then converts. Uh, so his inheritance was probably land and cattle. He converts all of it into cash. And he doesn't stay near the family but he goes to a far-off country. He doesn't spend the money wisely either, but quickly wastes, wastes it away with a party lifestyle. Let's read verses 14 and 15. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into, into field, his fields to feed pigs. So eventually his bad decisions cap catch up with him and, he's, and it leads to misfortune. Famine sets in 
and with no more money to spend, he goes to work as a migrant laborer. He's forced to work in the field with pigs. Let's read verse 16. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. So uh, to the Jewish people, uh, pigs were considered unclean animals. Uh, so this job would have been seen as pretty lowly and unpleasant for the second son. In addition to that, he became so hungry that he wanted to eat the food that they were feeding to the pigs. So at this time, anyone hearing the story from Jesus uh, would have been feeling sick to their stomach. Jesus was painting a pretty nasty picture. Uh, by way of illustration, I don't like mayonnaise. Um, so when I was in high school, I worked at a drugstore, and we sold groceries at that drugstore. And um, this one time I remember, in the back of the store, we had a pallet full of mayonnaise, about 100 jars, uh, stacked on top of one another, wrapped in cellophane. And this pallet was on the second level of the rack in the back. And all of us um, employees, we, we kind of noticed that the, the pallet wasn't sitting quite right on the rack yet none of us did anything about it. Um, that wasn't until one day, uh, we're all working, and we hear this loud, loud crash in the back, and we run to the back, and sure enough, that pallet had dropped about 10 feet, uh, and globs of mayonnaise and broken glass shot everywhere throughout the, the warehouse. It was disgusting. Um, and guess who had to clean it up? Yours truly at least for the you know, last 30 minutes of my shift, and then I passed it on to the next poor sop. But um, yeah, it was, it was disgusting. Now, can you imagine if at that time I'd been in such a situation that that mayonnaise filled with shards of glass began to look appetizing, that I was like, man, that, that looks good. Um, that's the picture that Jesus is painting. This guy was in a really rough spot. Um, let's read verse 17. But when Jesus came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? So the reality was that he had no friends. No one cared if he lived or died. Even his father's servants found themselves better off than he was. So he's beginning to wake up to the reality of things, the consequences of his poor decisions. He says to himself, verse 18 and 19, I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So he decided to go home, repent, and ask his father for forgiveness, and to take him on as a hired servant. He realized how dishonorable his conduct had been. He'd squandered away a third of the family wealth. Um, he'd thought only of himself, and he'd been incredibly foolish. So how will the father respond? Let's read verse 20. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion, ran and embraced and kissed him. This is uh, probably one of the more important verses of this passage. Um, there's three things I want to point out. And I, I get these observations from um, Paul Miller. Uh, he wrote a, a Praying Life. Uh, he also founded See Jesus Ministries. Um, but the first is uh, there are no trees in the 
on the horizon in the Middle East. A lot like Nebraska, right? You can see people coming from a long way off, uh, probably up to a mile. And so when he was still a long way off, the father saw him coming. Well, how did the father see him coming? How many times had the father been looking to the horizon to see his son? This meant that he probably was, he never stopped looking at the horizon. He was constantly looking uh, for his son. He was worried. He missed him. How long had the son been gone? How long had the father been watching? When he found his son, he ran to him. And that's the second observation. Um, In the Middle East, patriarchs and older men, they don't run. Women and children ran, but older men, especially the the heads of families, they they didn't run. That's still the case to this day. It's considered uh, incredibly shameful. Um, However, the father in this parable runs. Um, And third, he didn't run just because he wanted to see his son. He ran to protect his son from the community. So having a son leave with about a third of the family wealth would have had a huge economic impact, not just on the family, but on the entire community. Um, You know, for example, you know, imagine with me, um, you have a small town, and that small town is dependent on uh, one factory. And suppose you have the son of the factory owner. He takes one-third of the family business, and he sells it, and then he leaves town. Um, the, as a result, the factory closes, and a, a bunch of jobs are lost in town. And then that same son comes back to the town looking for work, right? Like, how is the town supposed to react? Um, that's a little bit of the, the net dynamic that's going on here in the village. So if the, village, the villagers had discovered, the community had discovered that the son had returned, they would no doubt have gone outside the village to throw stones uh, at the son. Um, so the, the father is rushing to his son, not only because he misses him, but to protect him from the community. Um, so when they met, uh, the father hugged his son. He kisses him before his son could say anything. But, the, you know, the son says to the father, verse 21, and the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Before, but, but the father had not even heard the scripted speech. It didn't matter. His son had returned. Verse 22, the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Bring a ring and put it on his hand put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. So he gives his son the best robe and shoes, um, perhaps a ring with the family crest on it, signifying restoration. Um, Verse 23, and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. So the father throws this huge party. Why? What's the reason? Verse 24 is the reason. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. And more recently, as I've reflected on this, this passage, um, the Father's reasoning here, it, just, it strikes me, it, it's not complex, it's actually quite simple. What was lost is found. What was dead is found alive. Um, you know, in this exchange between the Father and the Son, the Son receives from the Father 
undeserved honor. Uh, what does the Father receive from the Son? The Father takes on the Son's shame. Uh, you know, this is uh, the shame of his foolishness, the shame of his, um, his debt, uh, of his reputation. Uh, it's a beautiful picture of a beautiful reminder of what love is, of compassion, of forgiveness. Um, it's a reminder that love is an exchange. It's a giving and a taking, often the giving of honor and the, the taking upon of the other's shame. It's always costly. So the, the missing son was found, and everyone celebrated. Uh, the fact that this son, who was presumed dead, is found alive. So that's, that's the end of the story, right? Well, not quite. Not everyone celebrated. Let's, let's read verse 25. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. Have you ever been late to a party? Right? You hear the music. You're like, man, they could have waited for me. Or even worse, like maybe you weren't told about the party. You're like, these guys could have told me at least that they were going to throw a party. That's kind of the what's going on here for the older son. He's coming back from a long day's work. Uh, he's, he's hearing a party that he wasn't invited to and he didn't know about. Um, or it had started without him. Let's read verses 26, 27, 28. And he called to one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said, the servant said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But, the, but he was angry and refused to go in. You see, the, the older son had been working hard in the field all day. He was faithfully doing what was expected of him. And when he returns, everyone is celebrating the return of his disgraced brother. And he became angry. Why was he angry? Well, let's read in his own words. So the father uh, came out and entreated him. And uh, let's read verses 29 and 30. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I've served you. I've never disobeyed your command. And yet you never gave me a, even a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes or came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him? What he's saying here is it's not fair this isn't fair. I deserve better than him. I never disobeyed. I did everything I was told. This is why he's mad. The elder son was obedient, faithful, hardworking. The second son was reckless and unfaithful. The elder son received nothing special, and yet a grand feast was held uh, for the second son's return. The elder son is angry and can't even call him brother, but says, this son of yours the father says to him, verses 31 and 32, and he said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad once again, for this your brother was dead, and he's alive. He was lost and is found. Can you resonate a bit with the anger of the eldest son? Are you too a little frustrated with the father, right? Shouldn't the son deserve better than the, then shouldn't the older son deserve better than the younger son at least? I mean, you get what you deserve, right? Jigo Jidoku? 
But let's step back a minute. Let's breathe. Let's look at this. This is not a question of fairness or who deserves more. Um, We all know that a father's love for his son is not earned through obedience. It's right and it's natural to rejoice when something lost is found, when someone presumed dead is found alive. Compassion is good and right, but sin resists what is good and right. And you know, notice it was the father who went to the eldest son. He noticed that his son was missing. He was concerned, and he went looking for him. When he found him, he spoke gently to him, and he listened to him. Um, and then he explained why they were celebrating. The father graciously pursues the elder son just as he had the younger son. So the elder son worked hard and thought that he deserved to be loved um, and rewarded more than his brother. Really, he had everything that he needed. He was not lacking. Yet, he couldn't stand um, that such a person, especially his brother, would receive such a blessing. If anyone deserved that blessing, it was him, not his brother. You see, pride causes us to compare ourselves with others, uh, to covet and to be jealous. So, you know, whereas the father saw his second son and immediately felt pity, the elder son saw his, his brother and immediately despised him. The elder son was unable to have compassion because his pride had gotten in the way. His sin made him incapable of love. Um, the elder son was not angry only with his brother. He was actually especially angry with his father. Man, what a plot twist, right? At the end of the parable, the dishonorable, reckless son is warm, eating, drinking, and celebrating with his family, and the loyal, obedient son is left outside in the cold night, alone, dirty from work, and bitter. And what's crazy is no one wants him outside. It's his choice to be there. Our pride isolates us and makes us miserable. Man, why would Jesus tell such a story? Why did it end this way? Well, remember with me who this parable is for. Jesus is telling this parable to the Pharisees who are complaining that Jesus is spending time with sinners and tax collectors, uh, even eating with them. You see, the Pharisee dedicated his life to serving God, to pursuing holiness, obeying all the rules. You might ask, like, but is it not enough to obey? Uh, no, not without uh, compassion or love. You see, in, in Matthew 9, um, verse 13, uh, Jesus quotes Hosea 6.6, 6, the Old Testament reading we read uh, this morning. Um, in response to the same complaint by the Pharisees, right? The, the Pharisees see Jesus is eating and, and dining or sitting and eating with t- sinners and tax collectors, and he, they call him out on it. And Jesus responds in Matthew 9, 13, Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call righteous, the righteous, but sinners. So in the Hosea 6 passage, God's people are performing empty religious rituals. Uh, uh, the language... God uses his sacrifice. 
Uh, Their love was like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes away early. He's saying it wasn't steadfast. Um, It went away pretty quick. Um, God desires steadfast love. That is hesed love. Um, Jesus is uh, quoting the Septuagint, which renders it mercy. Uh, But God desires steadfast love instead of sacrifice. God desires more than obedience. He desires love. Just, he's, and so Jesus is saying, just as you experience my compassion, go and show compassion. Um, Christian maturity is not just a perfect score on a Christian checklist, though discipline is important. Um, it's absolutely needed. Love is hard. Um, but Christian maturity is a more tangible increase in our, um, in our love for God and neighbor, in our capacity for compassion, the giving of honor, the taking upon of shame. So you see, the, the elder son's sin here is the same as the second son's, pride and self-centeredness. It was due to pride and self-centeredness that the second son left with his own inheritance without any regard for anyone else. And it was due to pride and self-centeredness that the elder son was bitter and estranged from his father and brother. Um, you know, when we think of sinners in need of repentance, we probably think of people who lie, commit crimes, are lazy or abusive. But, you know, when we think of sinners in need of repentance, do we think of the honest, hardworking gentleman? Or do we think of, you know, the kindly old lady in the corner? We probably don't. Um, So the younger son's actions here led to misery, and he's in that misery. He sees his sin, his helplessness, and he goes to the father. The older son's actions lead to his own misery. No one wants him outside, but he's there. Um, And the father graciously seeks the older brother, and we're kind of left with a cliffhanger. How will the son respond to the father's love? So throughout the Bible, especially in the Gospels, we're reminded that sin is not only a matter of action, but rather, more especially, it's a matter of the heart. The focus of this parable is not on the younger son, but on the elder son. It is the return of the second son and the forgiveness of the father that exposes, brings to light, the pride and self-centeredness of the first son. Um, So there's a time uh, when I was working as a ministry intern. This is one day. Uh, that comes to mind, and it was an especially long day. I got up before the sun. I was out the door. I had appointments all day. Um, I had a number of responsibilities, things I was uh, tasked with, and it was just, it was a stressful day. It was really full. I, I came home at the end of the day, the day, and uh, really tired, ready to um, relax, uh, rest, enjoy time with my family, eat dinner, uh, and so then I when I entered the house, the house was a complete mess, right? Toys were everywhere. The sink was full of dirty dishes. Um, Mandy was napping, and the kids were running amok, and there was no dinner planned. On top of that, Mandy had asked me to do the dishes. Can you believe it, right? Like, I thought, I was thinking, man, I'd work hard. I'd done my part. Why should I help her? Why should I care about my wife and my kids? right now, right? All, in that moment, all I wanted to do was get out of the house, fulfill my need, and feel sorry for myself. Have any of you guys felt like this? Anyone? No? Just me, okay. Um, 
Now, we all know why Mandy was napping, right? Like, taking care of three young kids, in a foreign, especially in a foreign country, is exhausting. But my pride and my self-centeredness prohibited me from seeing that in that moment, from having any compassion for her. You see, as Christians, it's easy to become like the Pharisees and the elder brother. We look down on other Christians or non-Christians. We become dissatisfied with God. Um, we forget that the, hum- the humble reality that we are sinners saved by grace and forgiven because of Jesus. When we encounter someone difficult, undeserving, we can have compassion and love them. We can give and take um, because we know that Jesus first loved us when we didn't deserve it. Uh, you know, looking at our epistle reading, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 18. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So, as Christians, we no longer operate by this they get what they deserve mentality because we didn't get what we deserved. We are new creations. The old ways of relating have passed away. Behold, we are now adopted children of God in Christ. This is the good news of the gospel. God, seeing that I'm isolated by my sin, focused on myself and obsessed with what I deserve, pursues me with compassion. He sees me in the distance and runs toward me. He notices me sulking outside and patiently seeks me out and listens. He sees me, has compassion, and loves me. He gives me undeserved honor, invites me into relationship with himself, gives me joy and peace, and he takes upon himself the shame of my sin, my self-centeredness. Jesus died on the cross not only for those like the second son, but especially for those like the first son, for, the, for those who are faithful, diligent, hardworking, for those of us who believe that we've lived a good life and God's favor and blessing are ours, are deserved. We're all like the first and second son. We're rebellious, bitter, impatient, uh, jealous. We think only of ourselves and run from God. We boast of our accomplishments to the God, and then we're frustrated because we don't get what we think we deserve. Uh, the, you know, the most gracious thing that God can do is show us our sin, to show us how our sin is destroying our relationship not only with him, but with those around us, he, to show us our need of his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness. The good news is that Jesus sees each one of us. Um, he has compassion and loves us. And his forgiveness and grace and embrace are freely offered to anyone who will humbly accept it. This is good news to the polite, loyal, self-sacrificial Japanese. This is, as it is good news to the self-made, generous, rugged, individualist American. Please pray with me. Uh, Father in heaven, we uh, praise your name. Uh, Lord, we thank you for this parable. Um, You delight in finding that which is lost and giving it new life. Um, Lord, forgive us for the pride, for our pride and self-centeredness. Lord, help us to remember that we love because you first loved us. Help us to remember that in Christ you've taken our shame upon yourself, given us your honor, and that all that is yours is ours. Lord, help us to show compassion to those who are difficult and undeserving. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.